Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. So is this the, uh, the I don't really like football bunch, or the uh, I really love Jesus bunch, or uh, I was afraid Brother Jason would take a picture of who was here and give me a hard time next week in front of everybody else, or whatever we got going on here. I'm glad that you are here this evening. Uh, and this evening, as we get together, we're going to do something just a little bit different. Not trivia. You didn't get the uh, you didn't get the bonus round to catch it when some other people were out. So not trivia. We're going to do something else a little different. Um, and it's going to be different because, generally speaking, uh, when I preach, I preach in what would be called as a, an expository fashion. So, in other words, I open the Bible to a passage or to a group of verses and preach the meaning and the interpretation of those verses and then allow the application to come from whatever the Word of God means. Uh, and I feel like uh, week in and week out, allowing the Scripture to guide our application is the best way to make sure that we stay biblical. It uh, is a protection. It is, uh, allows the, the Scripture to be what guides us, keeps me from deciding I wanted to, you know, if I, if I got mad at somebody or somebody upset me in the congregation and I wanted to, to go just pick a few verses that revolved around not getting under your pastor's skin and twist them to mean what I wanted them to say, I could do that, except when you preach expositionally, you don't have that option because you have to, to preach the text and give it the context and talk about what it means. So you can't just pick and choose what you want it to mean and twist it and pervert it to mean that. And so I think that expository preaching is what the church needs week in and week out. That being said, tonight's going to be just a little bit different uh, because we're going to actually be doing what I would call a topical sermon. So tonight's message is going to be about one specific topic and we're going to expositionally go through a few verses in a few different places uh, to get that topic covered. And the reason for that is, like I, I said this morning, as we've gone through our Sunday morning messages since the beginning of the year, the common themes have been unity, heeding the Holy Spirit, and the prayer of the church. It just keeps being placed in front of us. And so as we do that, we've been studying the prayer of the church, and we sing, and we preach, and we have classes, and we do all these things. But I think one area where not just Rocky Valley, I, I'm not picking on anybody, Churches in general in this 21st century have gotten away from the corporate prayer meeting, the time where we gather and we pray for specific purposes and we lift up with unction our needs to God. And when we study the prayers of the church, I think far too often we overlook the fact that most of the time in Scripture when we see those, they're corporate prayer that is going on. It's not the single individual prayer, which is important. I'm not in no way tonight am I going to be telling you I don't want you to pray on your own anymore. I'm just going to be trying to bring to light the importance of corporate prayer. So turn to Acts chapter 6. We'll be in the first five verses. Let us stand as we honor the reading of God's holy and infallible and errant word. And the title of this evening's message is the prayers of the church. Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 5. And now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. And then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. 
Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to the prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Let us pray. Heavenly Father God, Lord, we stand before you in awe and majesty of who you are, Lord God. God, we ask that you would do what only you can do, and that is bind any spirit from this place that ain't your Holy Spirit, Lord God. And just allow us to focus on your word and the early church and what it means to us, Lord God, even here today. Use this time to change us, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And so as we get to Acts chapter 6, we see a, a, a dilemma among the leaders of the early church. And that dilemma is this. Their membership was growing like never before. The membership of the early church, it was growing in a way that had never been seen. It's growing in a way that still to this day that we still haven't seen since then. And so there was a problem that arose between two different groups of people in the church. Those of you in church leadership, right now you're shocked, right, that when churches get together there could possibly be problems that arise between different peoples in the church. But that's what happened. As the membership was growing, it got so big that there were two different groups of people and suddenly there was a problem that arose. So what was that problem? Well, let's, let's look at it this way. The Hellenist Jews, they would have been the Jewish people who spoke Greek as their native tongue. So they would have either been... Jews that had been made Jews because their father was a Jew and their mother was Greek, but they spoke the Greek tongue, uh, or perhaps they were raised in an area where they just spoke the Greek tongue, and they were known as the Hellenists. That's the most simple definition. There are some other things, but the most simple definition is the Hellenists would speak Greek as their native tongue, and the Hebrew Jews, the true Jews, would have spoken Hebrew as their native tongue. And so you have the true Jews, the Hebrew Jews, uh, who, are, who are there, and you have the Hellenist Jews. And so the Hellenist Jews, as the church is growing, they felt that when the goods were distributed, when things were given out and care was given to the widows uh, who were being taken care of by the church, when the things were given out, they felt like the Hebrew widows were getting way more attention and way more care than were the Hellenist widows. And so in verse 2, they, they gather together, and basically the the leaders of the church, the apostles say, uh, well, if we, if we start meeting these physical needs of these ladies, if we spend all of our time trying to make sure that everybody gets an equal amount of attention and an equal amount of time and we go to caring for these physical needs and we spend our time doing that, then it's going to take away from the spiritual time that, that we're going to spend leading the church spiritually and praying and doing all these things. And so they said... What we're going to do is we're going to ask that seven people would be chosen from among the church and their, their role is going to be to meet those physical needs, to make sure that everybody is taken care of properly. Why, verse 4 says, so that they could stay in prayer and spiritually focused. And here's where I want us to look just a little bit. Because oftentimes when we teach this, we say that the pastors brought help forward so that they could delegate some ministry responsibilities so that, so that the pastors could stay in personal prayer and seek a fresh word from the Lord to preach to people. And here are a few problems with that, though. One, 
This entire section is really about a group problem. It's not about an individual problem. It's about the problem that the church as a whole has. Somebody's being neglected. Somebody's not being taken care of properly. Or at least somebody feels that they're not being taken care of properly. So it's not really an individual problem. It's not like they came and said, we have a problem with one of the apostles. It's, a, it's an entire group problem. So really this whole section is not about a personal issue, but a, but a group issue. Also, the sentence is written in a corporate meaning. So it says, in verse 4, it says what? That we would give ourselves continually to prayer. But we will give ourselves. And so there, in and of itself, it is at a minimum suggesting that the group of pastors, that the group of apostles would spend their time in prayer together, focusing on the spiritual needs of the church. It was a priority for them. It was something that was important enough for them that they said, if we take away from our time in prayer together to go meet the physical needs of the people, then the church is going to stop growing. The church is, is it's, it's not going to keep growing anymore. People are not going to keep getting saved in the same rate because we're going to be spending all our time doing that instead of spending time at the feet of Jesus praying that he would give us the wisdom and give us the fresh word. But it's, it's not an individual prayer. Nowhere in there does it say that, that Peter said, we should remove me from the physical needs of people so that I can spend time in prayer. It said we can spend time in prayer. And finally, third, another reason that I believe that this is talking about a corporate prayer is because every example of prayer mentioned in the book of Acts up to this point refer to the apostles leading others in prayer. The apostles would be praying with others. Their personal prayer life is not mentioned in the book of Acts as far as the apostles' personal prayer life. Now, I'm, I'm not in any way suggesting that they didn't have one. I am quite positive that they had a personal prayer life. But for the purpose of the, the direction of the early church, the accounts that we're giving are the church praying as a group or the apostles praying as a group. I believe the suggestion there is that they didn't have to speak about the personal prayer because, my goodness, your personal prayer life should just happen because you know Jesus. Like There should not really be a charge that has to be given for you to be reminded to spend time communion with God. That should be something that just happens in your life. We shouldn't have to stand up and say, you need to spend time with God in prayer. You should just want. If the only way that I can talk to God is through my time of prayer and fasting and reflection, and I want to talk to God, then my personal prayer life is a result. And so when we see in Acts that corporate prayer is such a focus of the apostles, it's not because individual prayer is not important. It's because corporate prayer is so important to the early church. And so the first thing we see is that praying together, it was a priority of the apostles. But second, let's look into the fact that praying together was so important to the apostles because they got their leadership model from Jesus Christ. The apostles would have had an example of Jesus during his earthly ministry to follow in their leadership training. Um, can you imagine as many leadership conferences as we have today? You know, leadership is big business. Church leadership is even bigger business. You have a conference, you charge $25 a head to get into it. You hire Tom Rainier or somebody who's a known speaker to come in, and you will fill this place with church leaders from across the country that will pay whatever it takes to get in and have him give a fresh word on church leadership. 
The apostles, on the other hand, their leadership symposium looked like this. Hey, guys, let's get together. And they literally said, hey, what did Jesus do? Not what would he do. What did Jesus do, right? They could remember what he did. And so when they got together to glean what they should be doing, they just simply said, hey, that time when we got together outside by the Sea of Galilee, what was it that Jesus did that day when this was going on? And so they had the example of Jesus from his earthly ministry. And so if you scan the Gospels, if you were to go through the, every gospel account and you were to document each time that you see Jesus either leading prayer, having prayer, or teaching specifically about prayer, you would find that there are 37 different accounts of Jesus teaching about prayer, praying himself, or leading prayer. 37 different accounts. Some of them are mentioned in multiple gospels, but 37 different accounts. Of those 37, would anybody like to wager a guess? As to how many of those he's addressing a group of people as opposed to an individual prayer. None of you are going to know the answer, so it can't be a wrong. I just want to see what your guess is. 22 group prayers out of 37. Good guess. Anybody else want to guess one? Close. All right, that's enough. 33. 33. 30. Three of those 37 times that Jesus is praying or teaching on prayer, he's addressing a group of people or leading a group of people in prayer. Now we know one of those where he went off by himself is in the garden. So we should have known that it was a minimum 36. But um, good guesses, very good guesses. 33 times out of 37 that Jesus, not that Jason, not that Peter, not that Paul, not that Stephen, not that somebody else stood up, Jesus himself 33 out of 37 times that he talked about prayer was talking about group prayer. For example, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 7, the famous verse on prayer. Keep asking and it's given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be open to you. And we read that and oftentimes when we read that we say, well, that's about a personal prayer. That's about a personal time. If I seek and I knock and I search then it's going to be open to me. But the problem is, when we read the word you, we see it a little differently than it's written in the, in the Greek language in the way that it would have been written in that time. In that time, that word for you is like our word for y'all. And so it's plural. So when he says that, he's speaking to the group at the Sermon on the Mount who gathered, and he says, you guys, as in a, a multitude of believers, a group of you, if you will do this thing, if you'll seek, if you'll knock, if you'll search, if you'll do it in unison, if a group of you get together and do this, then it will be given to y'all or ye if you're King James English. Y'all if you're Rocky Valley English. You all, yens, whatever. Do it in a group. Matthew 18, 19. Jesus said, if any two of you agree and ask, it shall be done for you. The apostles placed an importance on corporate prayer for the believer because Jesus placed an emphasis on corporate prayer for the believer. It, it wasn't a, a foreign topic. It wasn't something that was new to them. To them, it just made sense for a group of people to pray together. Yet fast forward all these years, We've done church all these years, and we've gotten good at a lot of things over all these years. But it seems like one common denominator that we've tend to fallen away from 
is that good old-fashioned corporate prayer meeting. Why, why have we fallen away from it? Well, it's boring. It's just not as exciting to get together and just pray. Who wants to get together and just pray anymore? Um, we have all these singers. We need to let them sing. We have uh, a preacher who should study the Word of God all week and should lead us in a message. That's, that's his job is to preach a message to us. And yet we seem to drift away from the corporate prayer meeting. In fact, um, I would venture a guess as to say if this morning I had said that tonight was going to be a prayer service, there might be a person or two in here that would have said, well, I'm not going to bother going back if he ain't even going to preach. I don't know who you are. But the point is that we have begin to feel like it's just not, well, I'm going to pray on my own. I can pray at home. Yes, you can and you should. But we should also be in the habit of, of praying together. Because part of the reason that we get together is to bear one another's burdens. And if we can't pray together, how can we share together? How can we bear burdens together? And how can we be what God intended for us as a group of people to be? And so second, the apostles got their leadership model from Jesus Christ on corporate prayer. And third, we're going to just look at some examples of corporate prayer in the New Testament for the church. We're going to go through these really, really quickly because apparently there's a ball game tonight. But we're going to go through them quickly. If you want to write them down, there they are. You can go back and study them individually on your own. If you would like a copy of the slide, I'm sure Ms. Loretta can work that out for you as well. But we're going to look at some occasions where we see the church praying together. Starting in Acts 1.13. What we've got going on in Acts 1.13, if you'll remember... That is when the leaders of the church gathered in the upper room prior to the day of Pentecost. So Jesus has just ascended into heaven. They've gathered in the upper room and they've begun to pray. Now here's the importance of that in my personal opinion. Think about this. The angel has just said, why stand ye here gazing when you've already been given your marching orders? You've already been told to go and make disciples of the world. And the disciples, having walked with Jesus, the apostles said to themselves... If, if he said we've already got our marching orders and we're to go out and share the gospel of Jesus, I think the first thing that we should do is pray because that's what Jesus would have done. And so we find them going away to the upper room to get together and have prayer meeting to figure out what was going to happen. Shortly thereafter, the day of Pentecost came and the Spirit came down upon them. That's in Acts 2.1 that that happened. And we're in Acts 1.13 when they're praying. But in Acts 1.24, there they are trying to find the replacement for Judas, the one who had betrayed Jesus. In Acts 124, we find the 120 that were gathered with them, all of them prayed, the apostles and the 120, over who their next uh, replacement for Judas was going to be. Last week, we looked at Acts 4, 24 through 31, and we saw the news from the Sanhedrin come down to Peter and John that they were not going to be allowed to preach the name of Jesus anymore. And they prayed so mightily that the very ground that they stood on shook. In Acts 6... We saw them praying over a problem in the church and then praying over who would be appointed to help work through that problem of the care of the widows. Acts 12 finds Peter imprisoned and James has just been martyred and the church is having a prayer meeting. Peter is removed from prison, from the innermost place of the prison. He's removed as the church is praying. You remember the story, it's the one where he's he walks out of the prison. He's not even sure that he's free until he's free. He goes and knocks on the door. The little girl comes to the door and thinks she's seen the spirit of Peter. Because they're in there praying for, for Peter. 
and he's walking up on the prayer meeting himself. Acts 13, 1 and 2, the church is praying and fasting about direction, and they decide to send Paul and Barnabas out on a missionary journey. Which from that missionary journey, we would find most of our New Testament from the letters that Paul would write to the churches that he planted there. Acts 16, 25, Paul and Silas are in prison together, and they begin to pray together, corporately, the two of them, out loud. And there's a big earthquake that comes along, and the jailer gets converted and won to Christ, and then his whole family comes to know Jesus. And so we see that in the early church, God moved in a mighty way. I don't think that there's a single person that could read through the book of Acts and say that God didn't move in an unprecedented mighty way in the book of Acts. Yet, if you dig a little deeper, you see that Yes, God was moving in a mighty way, but he was responding to the mighty faithful prayers of the church in that time. The early church was in prayer in a continuous and fervent way, and God was simply faithful to do what he said he was going to do when he said the fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. They prayed that God would avail over much, and God availed over much. Again, I'm not taking away from your personal prayer lives. They're very, very important. The last thing I would want anybody to do is walk out of the store and say, I don't need to spend time through the week in prayer anymore because if I'm, if I'm not with my friends from the church, ain't no sense in me praying. That's not what I'm saying. It's not even what I'm insinuating. Peter was alone on the rooftop in prayer when God told him to go and preach to Cornelius, okay? There is evidence that we need a personal prayer life. But there is evidence that we need a corporate prayer life as well. And that doesn't have to be that we take a Sunday evening and do nothing but pray, though we will do that some. It can mean that you have a group of prayer warriors that you're friends with and corporately you guys get together to pray, not just when there's a problem, but that you get together and just pray for guidance. Just pray for your Sunday school class. Just pray uh, for whatever. Just pray for Charles. I do that sometimes. It's usually right before I have to call him and tell him something I don't want to tell him. Get together and just pray corporately. Because the problem, quite often, it's not that you're miles away from the mark. is not why God isn't moving in a mighty way. Sometimes God's not moving in a more mighty way because you're just inches away from the mark. You're just, you're just a little bit off. And maybe the corporate prayer is a place that you know you're not practicing as you should, as you know we're not practicing as we should. And so we need to focus on the importance of corporate prayer. So what does this mean tonight? Well, to me, it means if the church in Acts was the time when the church most behaved the way the church ought to, and I have an account of what they were doing, maybe we should do what they did. I'm not extremely smart. Most of you can account for that. But I am pretty good at mimicking people that know what they're doing, saying, well, if, if they know what they're doing, maybe we should take some of that. So if they knew what they were doing in Acts, maybe we need to do what they were doing more often. If they corporately prayed and saw the hand of God working in their lives, then we should make it a point that we would corporately pray more and see what God does. Because it's the same God today that it was then. 
It's not like somewhere after the New Testament was handed down, God gave us an addendum and said, no longer am I going to move in that way. He said, I'm the same today as I was then, and I'll be the same tomorrow as I am today. And so tonight, as we close, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to, we don't have to gather in a circle and hold hands and sing Kumbaya and everybody have to pray for something. We're not going to, we're not going to do that. We're going to be even more simple than that, okay? Uh, you, can, you can even stay in your seat. If you want to gather together with someone, you can come lay your hands on someone. But you can stay right where you're at. I'm fine with that. But we're going, I'm going I'm to need five volunteers. That's all I need. I just need five volunteers. And I'm going to give you something specific to pray about. And then we're going to close in corporate prayer where we pray for five things specifically. And then, once we say amen and, and oh me and we go our ways, I'm going to ask every one of you that are here tonight to corporately pray every day this week for these five things. So that means that these five things, we prayed together with, for them as a group all week long. It's just a good practice that we need to start doing here as a church, that we would focus on things with prayer. So I need, I need five volunteers, and you're going to pray out loud. Let me go ahead and give you the warning. You are going to pray out loud. Chris, will you please pray for the hearts for hunger? Who, who else did I have? Eric? Would you please pray for our Wednesday night small groups? Brent, would you please pray for uh, David and Jerry Marshall, Eric and Emily Gray, and Jason and Liette Mole? Our, their pregnancies, not specifically me. Who else did I have? Irvin, will you please pray for our Sunday school? And Josh, would you please pray for our children's ministry? So what we'll do is I'll open us up. I'll, I'll just open us up with a prayer of adoration. And then I don't care who goes and who goes in what order. Just when somebody's not praying, you pray. Uh, and you pray for, for what you're going to pray for, and then I'll close us, and then we'll be dismissed, okay? And uh, if this doesn't kill us, we might try to do it again sometime. But uh, So let's pray this evening. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, you are God. God, you are God. That means that you created all things. God, you spoke everything into existence, Lord God. And yet, and yet, even though you spoke everything to existence, you created man. You created me and you created all of us. And you loved us so much that in our hell-bound sinful state, you did not leave us there to die. You did not leave us there to suffer in agony in hell, Lord God, but you sent your son Jesus to die for our sins, Lord God. So God, we just stand in awe of your majesty and your might, Lord God, that you would allow us to come to your throne of grace this evening and lift up our prayers to you. And I'll pass this prayer on. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.